If you're hearing my voice right now, you're listening to Innovators Uncensored, Fast Company's new podcast series on SoundCloud. My name's John Converse Townsend, and over the next half an hour, you might just cry into your yogurt. You're about to get dropped into a conversation between art editor, Bob Safian, and Hamdi Ulukaya, the CEO of Chobani. He's built a multi-billion dollar company by meshing big-hearted values with hard-edged competition. It's a story about progressive capitalism, sure, but it's also the inspiring immigrant tale we need right now. Upstate New York, a little town, and this old factory uh, that was closed by Kraft after 75, 80 years is where my story started happening. All, all, the, all the time until that point as if I was in an idle learning, waiting process. And then I saw that ad, I bought the plant, I hired the first five people, and then my life started. And everything that I knew, everything that I learned, everything that I wanted to do, it started happening from that moment on. And as everybody else is, I am so surprised. I sometimes have to punch myself to think that this is really happening. Um, but, but Kraft looked at this factory and said, this is not a way to make money. Mm-hmm. And so they close it down, and you get an SBA loan for $800,000, and you buy it, and you build it into a multi-billion dollar business. Like, what, what, did, what did you see that Kraft didn't see? Or at the time, were you not thinking, I'm going to build a big business? You were yeah, just- I didn't have high executives, analysis, and market research, and all that stuff. So that played and benefit of me, not knowing that what the other people thought that they knew. And the second one is, what do I have to lose, you know? <laughs> I, remember, I remember calling to my attorney. I said, I just saw a plant that Kraft is selling. It's so cheap, you won't believe it, and I want to buy. On my way back from the factory tour in South Edmiston, and Mario, God bless him, he said, Hamdi, what are you talking about? I said, you know, this is this, and I, kept, I was talking fast. And he said, um, no, you're crazy. This is not a good idea. Um, you know, it's a large company is closing it, and they're looking for a, an idiot Turk to unload this guilt <laughs> of 90 years and the environment to you. So there's probably so much guilt in there that you're going to take it as is, so you're going to be dealing with this all your life. Um, and, and then I said, no, 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 it's cheap. Even the tax will cost more. And he said, Hamdi, you don't have money. You haven't paid me for the last six months. <laughs> <laughs> this is the true story. <laughs> Uh, but the two bankers at Key Bank upstate, um, they told me about this 401 program, 401, 401, I think, 5C at the SBA loan, where they give, the bank gives you the loan, but the SBA gives 50% guarantee. The bank's loan, bank's uh, risks get smaller. Um, and we got that one, and then on August 15, 2005, I had the key. This, this place. Now, you hadn't worked in a factory, had you? I, I worked in a cheese factory before. You, you in had, my own you, cheese product, factory. Okay. Yeah, small, small cheese factory. I had not worked in any other businesses. I've not, other than my family. My family was a cheesemaker, yogurt maker in Kurdish area in Turkey. Uh, I worked with her, but I never ran places like, you know, I never had a study. I never, like, I do not know, I did not know what 
business would be like on innovation, marketing, branding, financing, none of those. I had no idea of those. And, and certainly at the board meeting, my first board meeting was five factory workers. You know, Mike, who's the uh, technician. Maria was you know, the answering the calls. She was there for 15 years. Frank was uh, the wastewater guy. <laughs> you know, you need a wastewater, you know, there. Um, Mustafa was a yogurt master, and myself. So we're sitting around this table, this old table, and every furniture is all turned upside down. And the guys are looking at me and says, okay, what do we do now? <laughs> so I said, you know, we go to the Ace hardware store, okay, and then we're gonna buy some white, blue, and red paint. I thought about this quite a bit, you know, that's, that was my announcement, that was the strategy number one. <laughs> Paint the wall. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to paint the wall outside. So Mike actually retired in craft and then came back to, to with me. And Mike looked at me, this nice upstate guy, very quiet, and says to me, so Hamdi, tell me you have better ideas than this one. <laughs> <laughs> this, this wall hasn't been painted for the last 30 years. Why do you care? Um, I said, Mike, I don't have a second plan. <laughs> The second thing we're going to do is we're going to turn off the lights because I saw the electricity bill just now. It was $100,000 in every two months. I don't have that kind of money. We turn off the lights and then we, we, we paint the walls. And that's, <laughs> that's what we did that summer. So I came up with this nice, beautiful design that I have to paint all the walls white except around the windows. Uh, blue, and the doors are red. Were, were, you, were you thinking at all about a product? I mean, it was, it was... I, mean I just thought the walls needed to paint. And, <laughs> and while I did not have any other ideas how I was going to make it to the next month, and there was this uh, bar where people, like with the tattoos and motorcycles, and they called crotches, and they were just across from the, from the plant. Later on, we bought the bar. Um, these scary-looking people were making so much fun of us, like when we were painting the walls, like, hey, you forgot the corner. <laughs> I never went into that bar because I watched some movies, you know, with the bike, <laughs> bike riders. But later on, when we wanted to expand the plant, and we, we um, called the bar owner, we said, we wanted to buy your bar. And the guy said um, to my plant manager, he says, $250,000. And he says, it was half the size of this. Everybody was drinking outside anyway. <laughs> and and the Kevin tells him, he says, have you been drinking? I mean, <laughs> 250,000? You crazy? And the guy says, how much do you think? I said, well, I don't know, like 25,000? He says, you must be drinking. I've been waiting for this for the last 30 years. I'm not going to give it you know, for free. And we bought it for $250,000. It took us two seconds to tear it down, and we built a warehouse in there. But coming back, um, one of the first things I've done was that painting that wall, Bob, that became our thing, that we never sit around and wonder and wait what we are going to do next. We always come up with the ideas while we are in the action, while we are doing something. And it turns out that's the way I am. I just don't like sitting around and waiting and thinking and, you know. When you are in the mode of action, like I always repeat this, Rumi said, when you start walking the way, the way appears. Mm. And it really does. On the motion of painting the walls, we start coming up with the ideas. You know, we start affecting each other. The building looked better than 
it was before by the end of the summer. We were proud of ourselves, <laughs> you know, with the thing that we've done. And that led to the next thing. But I can tell you one thing, you know, to make the story short. At that five people in the summer of 2005, if somebody said, you know, a year and a half from now, you're going to launch this product. And then this four-lane, small-lane machine, you're going to have 14 of them. Um, by the fifth year, you're going to make almost two million cases of yogurt out of here. This field across the street is going to be a huge 150,000 square feet warehouse. You're going to build one of the largest yogurt plant in Idaho. You're going to buy a plant in Australia. You'll be number two brand in the country and number one brand in the yogurt. You'll be over a billion dollars in sales. You'll make $750 million investment. You'll have 2,000 people. You'll do, you, you will sponsored Olympics, there will be 600 refugees working here. You can go on and go on, and you say, okay, what have you been drinking? <laughs> this is all gonna happen in the next five years. Nobody's here. Every half an hour, one car passes. They just gave up on this plant, they left. These five people don't even know if they're gonna have job next month. I mean, me, what the hell? I don't even speak English yet, you know? <laughs> and, you cannot believe it if, if it's told to you right in that moment. But if you somehow connected these things, that there's something special here, I cannot identify it yet, but I'm into something here, and I'm prepared, and I'm open, and I'm gonna go forward with this. So, but it sounds like you, you like the strategy comes from the doing, I mean, yeah. Is there, is there, you're a much bigger enterprise now, is there still some of that spirit, or, or is there, or, or is strategy much more defined now that you're much bigger? Um, I think there is a, there's a combination of both. The, the challenge has been, how do you take it from one person or group of, group of person to a company? And, and I tell you, I have, I have faced a lot of challenges, but I have never faced this type of a challenge. You know, um, fifth year, all that crazy word that somebody would have said has happened. But what happened at the end of 2012, I reached into all those things, but I have 2,000 direct reports, right? I would make a decision of making a spoon, of building a million, dollar, million square feet plant, changing a pump, or making a flavor decision on a, on, a, on a strawberry. But that's not sustainable. <laughs> Although just, it sounds like you, you liked doing all I that. I did, things, yeah. Right? But it's just not sustainable. So I spent last year and a half is how do I make this in an enterprise? Because one of the, my biggest dreams is Chobani goes on. I, I fought so hard to make sure that this company doesn't get sold, this company doesn't get lost just like every other company does with the good entrepreneurs and become part of the other ones and get disappear. I want this to be leading. I want this to be get bigger. If anything, I want this to take the big ones under its umbrella and change them. That was my dream. So I fought so hard to make sure that this stays, but it cannot be depend on one person or group of person. It has to have, you know, enterprise discipline. So I, I worked for a year and a half and I made some mistakes and changed things, especially people. The saddest thing I've done is how do you tell one of your colleagues and say, you know, all these five years was great, but the job is a lot bigger than what you can do now. Mm. You know, you have to, it, it, it's tough. 
It's very difficult. And so a lot of learning is in there, but I used for the last year and a half to implement some of the discipline, not to let go of some of the entrepreneurial spirit that makes Chobani what special it is. And it's a combination. And if I've done that, I believe I'm in way to be there. Then it's, it's going to be a very, very special place. There, there's um, there's a, a, a narrative right now in, in the economy and, and in the political discourse about how manufacturing is leaving the United States and it's because of trade policy or because of this or because of that. And Chobani's example seems to be that there can be manufacturing that's done here yeah, and done, of course. And done uh, effectively and profitably. What, what are... What is that like narrative missing? Like, why why can you guys do it when others haven't been able to? Yeah, it's coming back. I think if you look at um, you know two thousands, like late nineteen nineties and then early two thousands, um, all these small towns like South Edmiston was last one in Shenango County. Uh, they just started leaving. The closing plants were the thing. You just, they just closed the plant. Everybody knew, oh, this plant has been here. My grandfather worked there, my father worked there, my uncle worked there. It, it, it's gonna close. Even though they haven't said anything, it will be closed. And they just start happening. They just closed, and, and Kraft One was the last one. Few things, these factories were very old, and the companies lost their interest on them. And then there was this thing that outsourcing was the thing. It was gonna be cheaper and faster and less headache. And one followed the other one, just one did, and the other one said, oh, they're doing it, we'll do it, and the other one said, we'll do it. But it turns out, you know, China is not any better than here. You know, Mexico is not any better than here. There are a lot of challenges. You don't get the quality right. You don't get to protect your innovation, your, your, your trademarks right. You don't get the timing right. You know, it's too far away. Um, but there were lessons learned. There was clashes between management and the workforce. Um, I think there was this bad habits of the 60s and 50s where you know, workers are here and then employers are here and then blue colors and white colors. Uh, I, I mean, you, you, you gave 10% of the company yeah. to your employees w without a, a union uh, negotiating it or coming from it. So w why did you do that? Earlier this year, this was this spring, right? Yeah, it, 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 from that five, to 2000, until 2012, I never left the factory. So if you ask me, what are you? I'm a factory worker first. Um, so like maybe a few days. I, I have a blackout from 2007 to 2012 <laughs> that I don't know what happened to the world. <laughs> and I ate pizza for the lunch and dinner and cheese and bread in the morning in my like a dormitory type of apartment in Utica. And I worked in the plant. And that was one of the best things happened to me is to see people. And, and if you're conscious and if you look at it and say, okay, they're building their life here. We're, we're so excited, we're building this business, we're building this brand, we're building this factory. And Rick just didn't know if he had a job, now he had a job. But what does that mean to him? What does that mean to Maria? What does this mean to her? So I started asking, like, okay, you can give a better wages, which we did right from the beginning. Um, you know, if I asked them to work Thanksgiving and, uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, we made a decision ourselves in the cafeteria, and I was there with them. I never left. If I was gonna ask them to do something, I was gonna do it with them. 
all those sacrifices that they did in the five years, okay, 401k, you know, best one, participation, you can give it higher than anybody else's, that's fine. Health insurance, mine is similar to theirs, one of the best ones you can find, that's fine. You know, you could do all of those, but it still doesn't, it just doesn't make it. You know, in front of your own eye, I'm Rick, mm. right, I'm Maria. It's just a billion dollar business has been built right in front of my eye and I've been part of it. I'm blessed, a lot of excitement coming into the society, but what is it for me? And it wasn't until I did that, then I said, okay, now it's done. Not only we built life for ourselves together, not only we built a community together, and something that we are proud of that built together, but we also secured our future, our retirement, our children's uh, future with this together. And, and when I announced it, of course, everybody in the company was happy, but one thing that that makes me proud that nobody was surprised. Nobody was surprised, because that's how it was built. And that's what I always said, it's not a gift, it's just a recognition. And I recognized because I was there. I can make the calculation, how much does it work, how much does it cost for a weekly family in upstate New York to live by? And if you're making 15, 16, $20 an hour, what does that mean for your family? What kind of food can you bring into your table? What kind of schools do you can send it to your kids to? What kind of car do you drive? And how many times can you go to a vacation in your lifetime going forward? You make the math. It's very easy. And I tell you, giving to your workers, giving to your employees, is not your highest cost. That is not something you look at it as a cost. That is investment. And the investment that takes your company your, your, your community, your places, in a place where nothing else can affect it. So I go to my, my, my factories, my offices every day. They're my partners. I mean, I had one partner, TPG, now I have 2,000 partners. <laughs> I like them, this one more. <laughs> a lot more. Hardworking, beautiful human beings. As, as you talk about this, there, there's, um, you know, again, sort of business leaders don't often talk like their primary responsibility is to their workers. Yep. It's to their owners, sometimes to their customers, yeah. sometimes. Um, but you seem to approach it differently. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to ask you about the, the story in the New York Times today was about um, the volume of refugees that you have working at at Chobani. Was that, was that a, a conscious decision to say, here's a community of people that needs um, that needs help and we're gonna help them? Or was it like, oh, here's a workforce that you know, I can get to work for me simply? Like, yeah. you know. The, the first one you asked, Bob, is, is you know, um, you look at country. I, I, I mean, when I said it, you know, I was in Vanity Fair the other day, and I said, I grew up hating CEOs. And I did. I'm from the eastern part of Turkey, a small town. We are farmers. Had a very comfortable, good life. Loved my mother, loved my father. Good community. We were nomads. We'd gone up in the mountains. We never complained about life. We had a good life. But you look at you know, newspapers and TVs, and especially later on, you see the rich people and they're, how dis they're disconnected from the rest of the country, as if they are something special. God touched them in a certain way that they became really whatever. And amount of corruption, amount of you know, this 
bad doings, it makes you really dislike that type of people. And I grew up doing that in my uh, university years, and we were leftists. We were just forced to hate them. So here I am. I'm not going to repeat something that I hate. Like, I can't, right? So you have to implement things. What would I like if the CEO or business owner was like this? What would I like? And I watched from my mother, from my father, how they were treating the others in communities. And it's no any different. But if you look at country that I was born in Turkey, or, or country here, is the separation between income and separation between rich and poor. It's never been this deeper. Where are we going? What are we doing? We have tried all different government uh, types in the world. We have tried all the economic you know, solutions in the world. We have gone from one extreme to another extreme. We've seen those. But what we haven't tried is this free market and business community making everybody part of the success that we built. And when we do that, then ordinary people are going to feel like the business owners and CEOs and the entrepreneurs, the innovators, are one of them, part of them. They're not separated. The picture right now doesn't look too good. And it's our responsibility. And it has never been this important in the humankind's history that the business owners and entrepreneurs and innovators are not disconnected from human life, are not disconnected from social life, and definitely they're not disconnected from their own employees and their own communities. And if we do that, I don't see the, I don't see the future bright. And this is what's happening in the political landscape. Who am I going to turn into when I'm living in upstate New York? Who? And, and I'm not doing it because of that. It's the right thing to do. And I love all the innovations that are coming. You know, we're going to Mars, we're getting the fastest trains, we're doing the cars in electric, we're doing that. But for God's sake, you just, you just mentioned refugees, 65 million people. This is the size of Texas and California, almost the size of UK. 65 million people today suffering, finding water or a shelter or a place to live. Millions of kids are, are born today that they have no country, they have no passport, because they're on the road. They might be born in Turkey, they might be born in Greece, they might be born in refugee camps. And we're looking at this landscape, we're looking at this thing in, 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 in the world today, and it doesn't matter where you are, New York, upstate New York, in Turkey, in Europe, Germany, wherever, you just cannot sit still. World War II, after World War II, is happening again. And how did we react to that when the Jews attacked and they were in trouble? How did, we, how did we react to that in the world, even in this country? What was the landscape? It's similar. And then we look back and we said we could have done faster, better. We could have stopped that. And this is happening again. And, and I'm just not going to sit there and say, you know, when my, my son asked me 20 years from now, what have you done? I want to be able to give a news, uh, you know, the answer. So, lived in Utica. This is five years ago. My community, and I heard that there were people from all over the world coming and settling in Utica, and they're having a really hard time finding a job. So we went to the refugee center. I said, why are you having a hard time to find a job? So many reasons. Language, they don't know you, not job available. I said, I started this yogurt company. Do you think they will come and work here? So yeah, but it's 30 miles south. How are we going to get them there? I said, we're going to get a car. We can get a bus, you know. And they said, well, there's a language problem, training. We'll get translators. 
Today, we have at Chobani, there's 11 different translation happens because there are refugees from 11 different nationalities. They're actually 19, but we do it 11. They should do one for me. It should be 12 right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but from five to thousands, we have probably five, 600,000, 600 refugees between our plants. And you go to the places, and they are my, now my, my partners. I'll tell you one story. There are so many stories, but I'll tell you one story. In Twin Falls, there's these two, two sisters, Rana and Sam. This is in, in Idaho. In Idaho. Yeah. And we finished the plant in 2012, and that's the time that they landed to Idaho. But going back four years, they left Afghanistan, 16 and 15. They lost their father to the obvious people. They killed him. Her mother, their mother took them with the smugglers to get into the Ukraine. And the smuggler said, I cannot take three of you all together. One needs to stay behind. The mother says, okay, I'll stay behind. You take the girls. And the smugglers take the girls to the Ukraine, and, and they never saw their mother. They never saw the smugglers ever again. They lost their mother. They stayed in Ukraine for four years, and this amazing woman from Ohio, uh, uh, she was there for another reason, and they got to know these two girls, filled their applications, and now they call her a mother. She, they have a Jewish mother and Christian father. Um, and four years later, they get the refugee status from the U.S., these two girls. And the refugee settlement happens in, in Twin Falls. And then when they come to Twin Falls, they said there is this company, Chobani, and they are open to accept refugees if they wanted to come work. And these two girls come to the plant. And I have nothing to do with this. This is all happening outside of me. And when, one day I walk into the plant and I see these two girls. I mean, when you see them, you just basically melt. This is how much uh, beautiful, uh, special uh, two sisters. They said they were temp. They just received, they just got the job. And they told me their stories and they were crying. I didn't get involved. And I watched them over the years. These two girls, they were living with so many different refugees in one place. They had no hope, they went through so much pain. And then, they get a job. And then, they get an apartment, they rent an apartment. And then, they get a car. I, I mean, you should have seen the time that when they got a car. I mean, they were so happy. And then, once they start going to the night, club, night, night schools, then they start making a little bit of makeups. They look better, like you watch these things, right? <laughs> And then one of them became a manager of the floor. And time goes on. Um, this past year, two of them, the whole plant picked two of them to go to be a Chobani ambassador for Team USA cheering at uh, Rio in Brazil. They were one of the members. Well, she said that at Chobani, the pain of the mother got ease and ease and ease. Now she sees her mother as happy face, where she is building her own life. And the year before, I said, I built this plant, a million square feet. I spent $500 million to this. But seeing these two girls building their own life, not handing out, not giving cash, not giving money, but let them build their own life. These two girls built their own life, and going forward, it's all paid for me. 
It's all paid. It's all done. I'm already successful. I'm already done. Thank you. So this is just one story. Just one story. I have 600 stories. And there are stories. These are all human beings. And a business community can play a dominant role in this. But I've always said, every single one of us have a responsibility how, to, how we respond to this. If you have a voice, we must give it. If we have time, we must give it. If we have money, we must give it. We have to give. We have to respond in the most humane ways. If we don't, the 65 million people's grief is going to be, is going to turn into something that you know, we will regret forever. I told you, Hamdi's something special, right? Yes, so. Really, really. Uh, I, um, I, no, it's, it's, it's just so, uh, you know, it's a long way from, from just saying, hey, I, I want to make yogurt so I can make enough money. You know what I mean? Right, like yeah. it's it's a, it's a whole whole different it's a whole different approach. I, you you mentioned you 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 have a son, right? And you said having a son changed the way you viewed parental leave policies. Yeah. You yeah. Wanna... Um, seriously, I never thought about it um, until I lived through it. That. And your son is how how is one now? Last week. Um, that especially the early on, how much work goes into, you know, when this somebody comes into the, your life. Uh, and I thought I covered everything, and until that happened, I, says, I asked Grace, I said, Grace, how are we doing with this policy? And it turns out that we, we never looked into it. I mean, we just never thought about it. Uh, it's a 12 weeks of, um, through the insurance, 75% pay, the father gets nothing. And if you want to have more, there is no pay. I mean, it's really un unhumane. Because he cries, you wake up. The mother wakes up, father wakes up, everybody wakes up. <laughs> Especially. <laughs> this is true. Yes. It's true. This is <laughs> and, and, you know, it's just how do you go to work? Leave that. But, but so, so, you, so you institute a policy where you give six weeks. Yeah full pay to all full-time employees of any gender yep. designation when they have a child. Mother and father, anyone, partners. So doesn't that cost the company a lot of money? Do you sit and you say, well, what's that going to do to my P&L? And what's that cost going to be? And can I afford it? You're grinning at me like, no. no. it doesn't. It, what it does is actually, it says, how do we, the biggest challenge for us was, how do we do that in the factory? Because let's say you have a, a person who is running the filler, filler, and he's really good at it. Mm. And then all of a sudden, he wants to have a baby and six weeks out. Who's going to run this? And then that, that's the biggest question, because you want to make the good product, a safe product, and you, know, uh, you don't want to have waste or bad. But what happens is the operation people had to think for three months how do you feel that? Hmm. How do you make sure that that person leaves for six months, six weeks? When he comes back, he never loses his advantage from the job to make sure that they encourage him to get that, you know, because that's in their mind. If I go for six weeks, what happens to my work? Uh, so the most of it is the plant. And I said, I'm not doing this unless we implement it into the factory first before the offices and high executives. So for me, the, 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 any policy needs to be implemented in the factory floor first, before he hits the floor in Soho, right? So that's, mm -hmm. that, that is my thing. And that was the challenge. But the mandatory side, no. 
I think a lot of companies are going to come back, but the picture doesn't look too good. 98% of the companies in the U.S. does not have a parental leave policy, and that's shame. That needs to change. So, so um, yeah. So I, I, did, I did, you know, ask people if they had questions, and I'm just scrolling here because we don't have too much time. I want to get to some of, to some of their questions. Um, so let's see. Um, who do you look to? Well, I'm curious. Who, is there anyone you look to as a role model, peer, or um, fellow traveler in how you run your business? Are there other folks out there you say, these are kindred spirits? In the company or someone that I like? Outside of, outside of Chobani. Are there other places where you say, yeah, there's someone who I can, I can look at as a role model. I want to be more like them or they really get it. Oh. <laughs> I mean, there's so many in so many different places. There's amazing people out there. I, I get my influences mostly from ordinary people. Um, I've always been this way. Of course, my mother has been an amazing influence in my life, and my father in a certain way, but my mother has been amazing influences. I never had a chance to meet or talk or see anyone that, you know, famous or made or anything before 2012 or 2013, so I had to rely on simple people, right? <laughs> uh, and it's, it's often are the simple people that you get to do things, but I have, you know, uh, I mean, you realize you're, you're, like, a, you're like a rebel. <laughs> I mean, maybe that word has connotations that, that you yeah. know, it's not yeah. really what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm referring to, right? But you're, you're, you're challenging the way, uh, the, the way assumptions are made about business in so many areas and ways. Um, and do, do, you, do you like that? Does that? No, I'm not trying to be different. It's just, um, you know, I... I just have a freedom to implement what I think should be like. Um, and more I implement it, more I like business. And, and frankly, there are so many sides of business I love. Creativity, innovation, mm. competition, fight, knocking down the other guys, bad guys, you know, all that stuff. I love it. And creating wealth and all that stuff. You know, money is good. I mean, you had a, you had a, a kind of aggressive ad campaign against yeah, uh, yeah, after I mean, they General do bad Mills stuff, and, right? The yeah. government had to like you, the the courts sort of said yeah. you couldn't do that anymore. Like you, nah. you do you do play hard sometimes. <laughs> you, you guys it. remember this ad earlier this year? You know, where where certain products were likened to chlorine and. Other things that were not particularly healthy. Yeah, they pushed it a little bit. I didn't, they pushed yeah, it a little yeah, bit. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> I mean, it's, it, you, you remain very ambitious about trying to have your company and the way your company approaches things be a much bigger influence in business and in culture than yeah. you are right now. You, you're, you're not done. Oh, no, we're only in the beginning. No, I. I um, this is not, oh, check the box and look how nice I am. And that's the thing that I wanted to tell, you know, young entrepreneurs and the startups guys is, you know, in Turkish we say, I don't know what you say. Um, you make all the sins and then later on you try to, you know, confess your sins and you try to get out. And that's why I sometimes don't value some of the things that some companies do because there's so much sin that it's done before and I just don't want to forget those either. I mean, I, I still applaud the good things that has been done. I just want to say, let's build businesses in a right way, a better way, 
And while we're doing it, let's make people's life better. But still staying in the practice of business and innovation and competition, but let's make this as a practice of a new business in the world. And I promise you, if it can be done with yogurt in a tiny village in upstate New York with a guy who has never had an experience to it, it can be done anywhere. I mean, it can be with smart people and experience and in other places. It just, it just, this consciousness comes. What kind of role we're following? What kind of models that we're following? You know, when we grow up, we were looking at this rich from the Arabs, that how big that their yacht was. I'm looking at from is, no, it's not about how big is your yacht is, it's about how big is your heart is, really. Who gives a shit about your yacht, you know? And I said it in Davos, I said it in Davos that, you know, all these refugees are happening. There are great examples in this country. Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, inspires me every day. And there are hundreds of the other ones. But I, I look at the Middle East, I look at the rich in there, and I don't want to give everybody the same level, but look, it's ugly. It's really ugly. You know, all these problems are happening right in front of them their own race, their own religion in front of them, and they have the wealth. And I said, people are not gonna remember you because you brought the winter to the desert or snow to the desert or how tall the building that you built. People are gonna remember what have you done to the people who are suffering. And that is really shameful. And what we do, not we, I don't do that. Not people like me do that, but what happens in the papers is in London how many big cars that they brought, how tall the buildings they built, and what kind of yachts they have, and how much they spend. It was in the New York Times the other day, $500 million that they bought here. It's just, do, it's your money. You can do whatever you want, but us, that's the something that we dislike. Show me what you do when people need, or what kind of things that you bring to people's life with your innovation and business practice, that I'm gonna look up to that. And then the new generation that comes out of Turkey are not gonna look at those as a business people and CEOs that hate them just like I did. They look at the new ones and say, that's what I wanna be. That's what I wanna follow. And if you start that practice, I think I would like to bet on that one. It would be life a better life, better place, you know. Hamdi, I could, I could stay here with you and keep doing oh, this all done? day, but unfortunately, <laughs> we're by out the of way, time. By the way, yes. Choban is great, all natural, 100%. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> Thanks, Hamdi. That was great. Thank you so much. I forgot to tell you that. <laughs> For more about Ulukaya, head to fastcompany.com or pick up the April edition of the magazine. He's on the cover. You can't miss it. Catch you next time on Innovators Uncensored.